I, I think that's what happens with some of these college players. They haven't understood how to make the jump from playing two to three hours a day, right, in college when you practice every day, coming into the NBA and taking it or accepting it as a business now. They have now become, they've started their own company. I tell every player, you are your own entity. You're your own president of your company. Being a leader is often seen as a personality characteristic that you're born with. However, that's far from the truth. Rex Kalamian, the assistant coach of the Detroit Pistons, walks through the leadership traits he's accumulated over the years to help basketball's largest superstars like Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and more to trust him to lead their teams to an NBA championship. Let's dive in. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Leaders Playbook. I am Avita Santoplian with my incredible guest today, Rex Kalamian. Hopefully I said that right. A champion who is an NBA, lead NBA assistant coach, who's coached quite a few different teams. And more importantly to me, the sweet spot, he, uh, he coached the Armenian national basketball team to a small country championship. So that's incredible. Welcome, Rex. Thank you, Avidas. How are you this morning? I'm great, man. Thank you so much for uh, taking a leap of faith and uh, joining me today. <laughs> uh, you know, Rex and I met at, a, at an awesome networking event. Uh, I think my buddy Kirk, uh, who is Mr. T uh, Tequila Mandala, introduced us, um, one of the best tequilas that I know. And we met at a, um, one of my friend's uh, company openings. Uh, I think they were putting a, a sign up there, a huge sign, Fenex's uh, sign up on their, their building, which is really exciting. But what was more exciting for, for me as a huge NBA fan uh, is meeting you, Rex. So thank you for, for being here, man. Of course. Thank you. Uh, we're going to have this really cool conversation. Um, I've been, you know, I've done a little bit of research on your background. Before we even get started with questions, like tell me your story, like the Tell me about your life. What got you to this this point in this in your journey? Well, growing up in Los Angeles, um, actually in East Los Angeles is where I grew up. I uh, spent a, a lot of time on the outdoor basketball courts, uh, just kind of as a young person. Every day after school, uh, it was a sport. The sport kind of uh, found me because it was something I could do alone. I didn't need a, a large group of people. Um, I would just go out every day and, and shoot baskets. And I just kind of fell in love with the game. And it started probably very early, third or fourth grade. Um, and it just kept growing my love of the sport of basketball. And um, through uh, through high school at Mark Keppel High School in, in the city of Alhambra, uh, into uh, college where I went to uh, my first two years, I played at East Los Angeles nice. College. Uh, and then I eventually transferred to Cal Poly Pomona and uh, I found an internship. I knew that athletically um, I was going to be challenged at some at some point of my career. So seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, even a couple of years in college, I was able to um, hold my own. Uh, I was a really good uh, shooter. Uh, so you played I, the two, I I'm had guessing. three point range, yes. And uh, but at some point, the uh, the size and and the speed and the strength and the talent ran out. So I said to myself, "Listen, I want to stay in the sport." And uh, I was able to find an internship. Um, I worked for a couple of years. Actually, I went back to the college at East Los Angeles College. Worked there for a couple of years as an assistant coach. 
Um, and then uh, got an internship with the Los Angeles Clippers way back wow. uh, in the 90s when they were still playing at the sports arena. I was uh, in my early 20s at the time. And um, was that the Danny just, Manning uh, years? That the, Danny Manning. That uh, it was. Lloyd Vaught. Yeah. I was Gary just, Grant, right? Yeah. Yes. Lloyd Vaught, very good friend of mine still. Uh, Lloyd Vaught, uh, Gary Grant, Danny Manning. Uh, Larry Brown was the coach. Oh, I remember right? that. Right. Sure. Transitioned from Larry Brown to eventually they hired Bill Fitch. Um, who is a Hall of Fame, NBA Hall of Fame coach. Um, and Bill Fitch, uh, I was kind of on, um, what should I say? Uh, I was kind of not an intern, but I was logging under 40 hours a week uh, prior to Bill Fitch. He came on and he and immediately he liked me and said, you're going to start working uh, NBA hours. So get ready and we're hiring you full time. And I started as a video coordinator, breaking down games, scouting upcoming opponents, and it just kind of transitioned. And a year or two later, I had always done player development. So that was my kind of my bread and butter. I, I liked being on the floor with the players. And uh, after a year or two working with Bill Fitch, he hired me full time to be a full time assistant with him and, um, and on the bench. And I've been fortunate. Uh, it's uh, almost, gosh. I hate to say it, it's almost 30 years now say that I've been it, in the NBA. <laughs> 30 years. Woo. What um what do you think Rex he saw in you? Cuz that's interesting, right? Uh, it's not often we get seen that way where people get those type of opportunities, but what was it that you did that stood out to to Bill who is from what I've heard about him is extremely um old school in a good way. Like he expects a lot. What made him see you for what you were, which was uh, obviously a great coach, a future great coach at the time. Yeah, I, I was really ambitious. Obviously, I was very young. I had a ton of energy. Um, I, I wanted to um, I wanted to work every day. I wanted to learn the NBA game. Um, I was an information seeker, uh, and I still am to this day. Uh, and, and then um, I think one of the uh, – one of my – key components in life, like uh, for me anyway, is that I'm a resilient person. And I think that that really has been enabled me to stay in the NBA so long. And, and that's not something that I've, I've learned. I think that's like in me, it's innate. It, it comes from um, being Armenian, honestly, like we're uh -huh. a resilient group of people. And that was something that was given to me uh, from my grandmother, honestly, I, I believe that. So uh, that's, who, I think. Who Rex, I, I believe is a uh, genocide survivor, correct? Yes, yes. And, um, you know, I've documented her story verbally, uh, with other interviews I've done. And I, I, I talk a lot kind of about how she had to uh, run for her life, literally, and, um, and hide and live in other places and uh, running away from her home with absolutely nothing in her hands um, and watching her family uh, uh, either be taken away and massacred or killed in front of her. And, um, you know, I, 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 
I think that what I'm doing pales in comparison to what she had to overcome and how she had to stay alive for all these future generations in our family. Right. So, uh, so that's that's where I kind of get my my daily um, my daily energy, my daily vitamins is like thinking about how uh, Yefkin and Mahakian um, survived right at the age of 13. Uh, Unbelievable. You know, Where did the, she flee to, Rex? What was the the stop she made? From what I can tell, she eventually ended up at an orphanage um, in uh, uh, for for obviously for kids that that didn't have their families anymore. Um, and she stayed there for a few years. And when she was at the age of, I believe, seventeen, she took a a, a boat to Ellis Island, mm-hmm. and the ship arrived in Ellis Island and. Somebody either sponsored her or she had distant relatives there in the Bronx and they came and got her and she lived in the Bronx for two, three years and then eventually uh, got married uh, soon thereafter and and, um, grew up in the Bronx. Yeah. And then my family migrated out to California uh, before I was born and that's where I was born and raised. I, um, I, I too, uh, my, my ancestors are also genocide survivors uh, from, you know, uh, Western Armenia, uh, which is now Turkey. And they, they uh, one of them went to uh, Argentina, the other one went to Greece, to two brothers mm. that survived the, the parents. And so that's, I was wondering where they went before they came to the U.S., but it sounds like they went straight to the U.S. She must have been one of the very early, survi- uh, very early folks in the United States. I mean, that's really early. Yes. And I just found something recently, actually, that um, showed that her name is uh, inscripted uh, on the plaque at Ellis Island, as a matter of fact. So uh, I think when people came through Ellis Island in those days, they would put your name on a, um, I think it's like a a big rock that's out there. And I I actually need to make that uh, a destination point at some point to go see it for myself. But yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, really It was... um, I don't know if you went to the fast gala, but uh, Dr. Artem went up and uh, during his speech, you know, he's a, a, he too is a, you know, uh, ancestor, his ancestors were survivors too. And basically explained living in Lebanon, uh, he was literally kidnapped, right, by, by certain groups. And he said, becoming a scientist looked easy. And that's kind of what you're describing, right? People think, wow, you made it to the NBA. That's incredible. You're like, dude, my, you know, my grandmother survived genocide right so it's it's, when you look at it from that standpoint it's not even a conversation you absolutely could could do whatever you wanted right like you had probably a dream and it sounds like you couldn't get there as a player necessarily so you chose that other path which is probably as as difficult um right so good for you man that's well i i have a story um i was probably in the fourth or fifth grade and every day after school, as I mentioned earlier, I'd go out on the basketball court and I would shoot every day for two, three hours until my mother got off of work at five o'clock and then she would be home by 5.30. So I had about two or three hours to just go to the court and I would shoot every day. And that's where I became a, a good shooter. But uh, two of the teachers, one was a principal, one was a teacher after school. They watch all the kids there. I'm still there at five o'clock and they told me to go home. And one of them asked me one day why I come out there and spend three hours a day shooting when I should be home studying or in the library and doing different things. And I told them 
that I wanted to uh, someday play in the NBA. I said, my dream is to play in the NBA. And I must have been 10 or 11 years old. And they laughed at me first. And then they said, there's no way you're playing in the NBA. And I went home and cried and I, you know, because they didn't believe me, but I, I kept that conversation in me for a very long time. And, and they were right. I, I never did play in the NBA, but I've been in the NBA as a coach for 30 years. So I, I, I kind of, I, I found a different way to stay in the NBA and to get in the NBA. And I tell kids all the time, like playing in the NBA, it's such a small group of people that have ever played in the NBA. I think that it's still, it's like at 5,000, the number of players that have played in the NBA in all this, all these years. Um, wow. it, it's a small fraternity and, uh, you know, it's, it's a great goal to have. And if you're a basketball player and you aspire to play in the NBA, go get it. But if you don't have a black backup plan and if it's staying in sports, there are plenty of different professions in the world of sports that you could jump into. So, um, I try to, I try to pass that message. That's incredible, man. It sounds like you shot for the moon and ended up on the stars. Yeah. <laughs> right. If you can call it that, I mean, this yeah. could be the, the moon, right? I mean, being a coach in the NBA is, is gotta be incredible, but I think a lot of people, their, their dreams are squashed so quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, or they fear their dr dreams are going to be squashed by others. So what they do is they, they lower the bar. I've right. heard people say, I'd love to play in the uh, college basketball. I'm thinking, why wouldn't you say the NBA? Uh, I, I had a similar story. I wanted to play in the NBA. And people are like, what the hell are you talking about? You're 5'9". You know, and I was like, so <laughs> Muggsy Bogues was 5'3". You know, Steve, what was his uh, Weber? What was his Steve Webb? It was five uh, seven. Spud Webb. Spud Webb, right? right? And there's these. It, there's been plenty of uh, players, but it didn't matter, right? So like, people lower their expectations or bars. I'm going to play high school ball. Why not NBA? Right. You know, shoot for the right. stars. End up in playing college basketball. Yes, so that's sir. incredible. Man. I heard somebody told me, uh, may I mean that Birdie might have been Nicholas or not. I'm not sure, but that you every day on the way to school shot at every basket that you can that uh, <laughs> you found on the way. Is that, is that accurate? I would sometimes run down driveways. Yes, I'd bounce a ball to school, run down a driveway, shoot, and then on the way home do the same thing. I think uh, I, I got chased out of a few homes for sure. That's awesome, man. How do you, um, you know, one of the things, this is obviously a, a business podcast. It's a tech leadership uh, podcast. So someone's probably thinking, what are you doing bringing Rex here, right? The reason I brought you here is because, you know, business is is uh, is very compar comparable to me as sports. In fact, I use sports a lot when uh, in analogies with my team to motivate them, to, to make them think mindset and all that. For me, I think it's very relevant for what you've done to build teams, specifically winning teams. For example, the, the, what you did with the Armenian national team was incredible. One, why did you take that on? Uh, how did you take a, a country that does not have a basketball culture yet, uh, thanks to you and might very quickly, and turn them into champions? How did that? How did you even think to take this on this journey on? Because you didn't have to, right? You're already at the most elite level of basketball in the world, and how did you get that team believing they can win the championship? Well, yeah, taking on this, um, I guess this responsibility 
of uh, being the head coach of the Armenian national team was something that uh, it wasn't just a one day decision. They had been asking me for a number of years if I would do it. Um, and I, I felt like, and when I say they, I'm talking about the basketball federation in Yerevan. Um, and I felt like the, the, um, the federation needed to uh, build first and then I would come in and I would help enhance what they're building. And then it would become something that's sustainable. So building, enhancing and sustaining it are, are the three keys uh, for me. And I felt like there was nothing built yet. They needed a structure and a foundation. Um, and some of that honestly was, I guess you could say, the, 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 the funding behind the program. So every uh, every country has a national basketball team, or I should say a, a lot of countries, right? Um, and we needed one. Um, we needed it for our players. We needed it for the country. We needed it for just the, the, just the vibe of, of our country, because I think that Armenia has really accepted uh, the national team. It's uh, something that in Armenia, obviously, they have lots of individual success uh, in wrestling and, and, and boxing and tennis and chess, different things. But they needed we needed a team sport. So I accepted the responsibility last year. They told me that there's a, 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 a training camp that we would like to have in Yerevan and then a tournament FIBA uh, European small countries championship in Malta uh, in July. If I could uh, have the training camp, take the players to Malta, play in the games and let's uh, let's start this thing up. So I accepted it, uh, got a, a ton of support from not only in the state, just all around the world, people reaching out to me and um, saying that they're they're supportive of what we're trying to do and they're supportive of Armenia basketball and really cool, right? And I was able to um, grab these, um, we had 12 players to get these 12 players from all different parts of the world. Um, some came from France, some from Armenia, some from the States. Um, some from Russia, uh, but the one common denominator that they all had was that they all, all are all Armenian. They all have citizenship and passports. So no in way. order to play on the national team, just like we have um, probably eight or nine players on the team that are from the States, they all um, have citizenship and passports and, and you need that in order to play FIBA basketball. So, um, so they're all, you know, I saw tremendous diversity, by the way. Yeah, that was really cool to see. It wasn't your typical. Every Armenian looks the same. I mean, I, 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 I it was really cool to see. Yes, yes. So it's it's good. So um, we got all these players together, and you know, in a small amount of time, you know, two and a half weeks in Armenia in training camp, um, I wasn't sure how this was going to to work. Right, and the roster was was very small at the time. What I'm doing now in the past year is I'm trying to build the roster with more players, finding more players. That's really the difficult part for me is finding the eligible players. Um, so some players I found are very good, but maybe not eligible. Some are eligible, but, you know, maybe are hard to get in touch with. So that's what I'm doing right now, building the roster so that we at some point can have a roster uh, that I could choose from of 25, 30 players and say, well, you know what? This guy's playing really well. It's kind of what 
the United States does really with their program. Canada does with theirs. When they're going to play an event, they go to the roster and they invite everybody to camp and then they choose the best 12 players that are playing the best Rex, at that time. We're pretty connected people, as you know. Uh, who do you need to get a hold of? Drop, yeah. me a, <laughs> drop me a list. We'll make sure we get a, we reach them. Well, this will certainly help. This will get the word out a little Absolutely. bit. So people can you know, always reach out to me. They find me on Instagram and they send me messages. Hey, I'd love to play in their Armenian national team. And uh, I, I bring these guys in and, and, and we just kind of, you know, it, like just like the um, the training camp and the friendly games that we're going to have in June at Cal State Northridge against France, June 16 and 17, I'm compiling a roster to bring people into uh, what's gonna amount to be coming into Glendale, training for a week, and I'm preparing a roster for that right now. So it's gonna be, uh, it's, 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 it's growing every day. That's amazing. And uh, Higher Cloud will be supporting that event. We'll do a nice luncheon for the players um, and whatever else support you need. So that's that's really Terrific. great, man. Thank you. Thank did you, you did you all from day one like did you equip them with the mindset of you guys are going to win this the, the championship or was it let's just take it one day at a time? What did you what message did you send to these players who'd probably never played together that we're going to? I mean, look, we didn't play obviously the U.S. and Canada, but. Still, those are. I, I watched the games. There's a lot of talent. How did you, how did you set the uh, expectations from day one? Uh, was it, hey, we're we're playing for the championship, or did you use a different approach? Well, for me, I needed to learn who the players were. I needed to learn as quickly as I could. Um, we didn't have much time, as you know, uh, and two and a half weeks just in a training camp in, in Yerevan, it helped bond us a little bit. We all stayed at the same hotel. Uh, we had a, a ton of team dinners. Um, but I asked them on day one um, that each player, some of them or mo most of them play professionally at other places around the world, right? Not just in, in Yerevan, but some were playing in Spain, some were playing in, in France. And I asked each one of them to sacrifice for the betterment of, of the team, sacrifice shots, sacrifice touches, sacrifice scoring, um, playing time. You know, there was going to have to be a sacrifice made. And I, I made the sacrifice, not for me, um, because they all have an immense amount of, of individual pride and they all want individual success. But I asked them to sacrifice for Armenia and put something that you're sacrificing for bigger than all of us. And um, I, I said to them, if we sacrifice for what is essentially, you know, every our homeland, um, you could always feel like whatever's happening to me or whatever I'm giving up, I'm doing it for the betterment of uh, for Armenia and for this team. And, and it was really, really cool at how there were no egos involved, you know, a little bit different sometimes in coaching in the NBA. Um, but there were no egos involved. There was no uh, no disciplinary things at all. Everybody was on time. Everybody was respectful. And, and that's Amazing. one thing, especially as me as the head coach of the Armenian national team, that's the one thing that I demanded. Um, and uh, it, it, my leadership style is a little less demanding, honestly. Um, and, and cause I'm not a type of coach who wants to demand things all the time, but I, I demanded that we have respect. 
at, at all at all times. Like respect for each other, respect for our opponents, respect for the clock, right? Being on time. And that was really important um, for me. And and all our players w- were great. And uh, I just felt like if we're, if we're going to go on the floor and play against um, wh- whoever, you know, uh, we played Iran and, um, uh, Malta and San Marino, whatever countries we were playing, I, I always wanted us to, uh, represent Armenia, the, the name on the front of our shirts in a way that was respectful and, and classy and competitive. And that was, uh, what I asked of the team. You, bu- you built a culture. So of winning, by the way, and discipline, which is 80% of the battle, really, uh, Rex, you said something about egos, right? Uh, obviously, these the, a lot of these folks aren't NBA level players. Uh, you coach some of the, the the best players in the NBA. If I'm correct, I believe you might have even coached Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Right, James Harden. James Harden. Ooh, yeah. These are these these guys are mega stars, right? Uh, all on the how, same team at the same all time. on the <laughs> same team, right? Which they should have won a championship. They didn't, but. How do you, I guess, when it comes to working with superstar athletes, how much does ego affect how you coach them, uh, your ego, uh, as well as theirs? I know you weren't the head coach, but as an assistant coach or lead coach, you still have a big impact on how they uh, they do it. How, how does that work? Right. Well, I try to keep ego out of it as much as I can. My ego, for sure. And then what I try to do is defuse the ego of the player as much as I can. How do you do that? That's the key. How do you diffuse their egos? The first thing I do is I, I, I spend time with the player prior to the season beginning. Because if the first time I'm going to either meet the player or ask the player to do something is on the practice court, then I'm already, I've already lost in that relationship building process. I need, for me anyway, I need to invest time in the player prior to getting on the floor. I, I need, as soon as I get the job in whatever city I'm in, I need to go visit our players. I need to see where our players live. I need to sit down and break bread. We need dinners. We need talking. We need laughing. Um, we need a, 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 a mutual sense of respect for each other before I even start coaching uh, a player. And one of the things I ask all our players is, is just to allow me to coach you hard. Um, respectfully, I'll always respect you. I'll never embarrass you. I'll never disrespect you in front of a group. Um, but I, I want to be honest and hard with you because I think that that's, that's my, my style is, um, is to come at you straight and be honest and hard and, uh, and, and also listen to what you have to say as a player. But, um, you know, my first, uh, my first interaction, I got the job in Toronto with the Raptors and um, my first interaction with DeMar DeRozan, who was a three-time All-Star, maybe Olympian, USA Olympian at the time. I We were both in Los Angeles. It was in the summertime. And I called him and asked him if we could meet. And um, I went to uh, Toronto on a one-year contract, uh, which is kind of unheard of. You know, it's a, a very small contract. So I didn't know what was going to happen after that season. Uh DeMar DeRozan was in the last year of his player contract with the Raptors. So we were both kind of, you know, we were there going to be basically for eight months possibly, right? Uh, And I met with him and I said to him um, over lunch, uh, we don't have a lot of time to gain trust in each other right now. But we have to just open up 
and we have to be able to trust each other. I'm going to listen to you. I'll trust you. You're going to have to listen to me and trust me. And believe me, I want what's best for you. And, um, you know, we built a, a relationship off of that first day that I think really, really, it stands until today. You know, he's still one of my best friends. And, um, you know, we, we still talk on the phone uh, weekly about the, the NBA and things. But I, I, I think that honesty when you're leading people is is the best way, at least for me, it is. And, um, you know, Kevin Durant, uh, unbelievable player, maybe the best player in the world. Um, you know, there were times where I got on him so hard. I, I wasn't even coaching him at the time. We were in the NBA All-Star game in Los Angeles and we were the coaches for the All-Star game. And he was an All-Star and he was on the uh, on the team. And uh, it was the last few minutes of the game. And he was guarding James Harden, who was on the, uh, the other team. We were team uh, LeBron, I believe. Yeah. Right. For those no more East know West, right? Yeah, no more East West. We were Team LeBron. It was LeBron and and Anthony Davis and Durant and Westbrook. We had we had a, a great team, and it was the last couple of minutes of the game, and uh, the game got really competitive, and and. Uh, Kevin Durant was guarding James Harden and he let him go left twice to the rim for a layup and we called a timeout and I felt like I was still coaching Oklahoma City and I had Kevin Durant in front of me and I started getting on him uh, in an all-star game about letting James Harden get to his left hand and I'm yelling at Kevin, Kevin, what are you thinking? You got to cut off his left hand, send him back right. You got plenty of help. AD is sitting in the middle of the paint and he's like, my fault, Rex, my fault. Like, I'll, I'll clean up and... um one of the players after the timeout said to me, you can't, you can't, you can't talk to Kevin like that. And I said, you know what? We can. I said, I have such a relationship with him that he knows um, my delivery is all about uh, respect and love and admiration and getting it right. And, uh, and his delivery back to me, he could say whatever he wants, whenever he wants, because I know that the respect is coming back my way also. And, and I believe that's just kind of built up from, you know, a number of years, a number of talks, a number of lunches, a number of downtime, you know. It's all about relationships, it sounds like, Rex. I don't know if you've ever heard of the concept of radical candor. Great book, by the way. The concept is, if you care deeply about someone, you can uh, challenge them directly. Right. Mm. But you have to, you have to, to care about them because anything less than that is, is, is something else, right? It becomes something else. And if you do care about them deeply, but don't challenge them, it's called ruinous empathy. Mm. Uh, and the whole concept is because I know you, we have a good relationship. I'm never going to be hard on you. I'm always going to be your biggest cheerleader. The problem with that is you're going to allow me to, 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 uh, you know, miss the mark. You're going to allow me to settle for mediocrity. And, and I, as a winner, will not allow a coach to do that. Uh, I've never allowed any of my players to give me medio mediocrity, right? When I say players, I mean, I've been in leadership for 20, 20 plus years. I was leading mm -hmm. uh, people at 19 years old up until this point. And so I think though, it is the, you said it beautifully, you basically built the relationship so they allowed you to be tough on them. And right. I think that's, that's brilliant. Um, have, you, have you read the book Relentless yet? No. All right, another, another good book for you. Uh, it's so good. It's from the trainer, Michael Jordan's trainer. Uh, oh, I yes. think it's Tim, Tim Grover. Uh, Tim Grover, yeah, it. so great yes. book. Uh, really good book, but 
Um, I guess my question for you is, can the killer instinct mindset be coached into existence or is it just something we either have or don't? Like, for example, your resilience is built into you. No one taught you resilience. Right. Maybe your grandmother did, but that was, you know, God knows 30, 40 years ago, right? right. So at this point in your life, you are who you are. Again, is it, do they have killer instinct or can it be taught? It, that's such a great question because that's something that, um, we'll debate in an NBA season many times throughout the year uh, with specific players. Um, you know, and, and, and I believe this is just my opinion that that like killer instinct uh, is innate in a person. Uh, I, I think it's something you're born with. Like Kobe Bryant had a killer instinct on the basketball court. Maybe one of the best. Another guy I coached, um, Kevin Garnett. Right. Uh, and and this is something that they had in an early, early age, and it developed over time, right? It does develop to a certain point. Um, Patrick Beverly, right, uh, who is maybe not as talented as those other two guys I just mentioned, Kobe and KG, but he has a killer instinct on the floor, a relentlessness, so to speak, yes. uh, an intensity, and... Um, some players do not do not have that. And um, as much as you want to coach it into them, uh, it's hard. It's hard to coach the, that killer instinct into people. And it, that's the decision that sometimes management, um, leadership in, in other areas has to decide at some point. Like, do we want this player on our team for another four years? Are we going to give him a four-year contract when, um, you know, his either his effort, his energy, his killer instinct, um, his resilience, it's just, it's not there. Like the talent is there, but all these other things along with the killer instinct, because when you're building a team and when you're building a, a culture and you're coaching in the NBA, you're not just coaching for that game or that month or that season you're hopefully coaching and directing all your efforts towards a championship. And that's got to be like the ultimate goal. Even the worst team in the league, right, is always saying, okay, we know we have certain benchmarks and those are maybe um, uh, 41 wins, which is a 50 uh, uh, winning percentage, right? Uh, maybe the playoffs and then maybe – Western or Eastern Conference Finals, and then maybe a championship. Those are your benchmarks. Um, but the ultimate goal is a championship, right? And uh, uh, you need people that kind of have that same mindset um, and killer instinct and all those other things we just talked about that I just mentioned are go into that. Um, and, and at some point, you know, difficult uh, decisions have to be made on on certain players and um, same in business, Rex. So same um, in business. I used to I used to try to change people because uh, I saw something in them that they didn't see. I saw talent, right. and uh, what I learned over the years is is to stop doing that. Um, you know, people say, "Oh, if you could just motivate this person, they'll be great." And I have learned that no, 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 no. I I don't motivate people. I hire motivated people. And I make sure that I don't demotivate them by being an ass, right? Or doing something that's not fair or changing structure on them or things like that too often. So that's one concept. Two, I just play to people's strengths. I've just learned that 
their, you know, play to their strengths and try to, I guess, um, make up for the weaknesses within their strengths. So not even their weaknesses, but the weaknesses within their strengths. So for example, if you're coaching, um, I don't know, a, a player that's 6'1", their weakness could be rebounding. Focusing on the rebounding skills, I think it's it could be a waste, right? Let's just play to their their strengths, right? Their speed, right. their agility, their shooting, their uh, their ability to penetrate or whatever. So so those are two lessons I've learned over the last ten years being uh, the guy, and it, it, it it's it's um it's a wasted effort, I think, trying to make someone that they're not. Right, and there's an old adage uh, in the NBA, and many coaches say this: is I, I don't want to coach effort. Don't make me teach effort like that should be, um, you know, and uh, 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 it's it's non-negotiable thing is how much effort you're going to come and you're going to play with. Right. And the NBA is it's an elite group of players and athletes and people who've shown that they're qualified to be in the NBA, but they're in now. How do you stay in just like business? You could get a job. Now, how long can you stay on that job? And then how do you progress and get better? Because the average basketball career lasts four years-ish, right? And that is because a lot of these contracts are guaranteed for the first four years. And after those four years are up, the player either hangs on and gets a second contract or um, is either, you know, maybe cut before the four years. Another team tries to recycle him. Right. And then maybe cut again because of injuries, performance or the NBA draft. That's what kills other players careers. And when I say that, just give me a second here and I'll explain. Every year, 60 new players come into the NBA, 30 players from the first round, 30 players from the second round, some from the G League, some from overseas as well. So you have 60 ish new players in the NBA. Well, guess what? The rosters still only allow you 15 players. So those 60 are coming in. There are 60 that are here that are leaving and going somewhere else. And those are, you know, those are the guys you always say, wow, what happened to so-and-so? Is he playing this year? And, and you say, no, nah, you know what? I don't think he's in the NBA anymore. And they just kind of go away, right? Sometimes they're older players and they retire or they just, they played 10 years, 12 years, and they've had a great career. Or sometimes they're the younger players who get one, two, three-year contracts and they just didn't hang on. And the question in, whether it's in the NBA or whether it's in business, is how do you stay on the bus? How do you continue staying on and moving forward? And um, that's, that's the key. You know, you have to find different ways to be successful, different ways to reinvent yourself different ways to make yourself valuable to the company. And I tell players this all the time, why would, um, and and I'm a lot more honest now as I get older in my coaching days with players and I know also more now. So I I say to players, if you don't watch out, you're not going to get a contract next year. Okay. You're a free agent. And if you don't change something, you're going to be playing overseas somewhere. And um, that's, Real talk. How's that taken by them? Do they do they appreciate it or is it a lot of uh, pushback? Some do appreciate it and some don't see it at all because they're so young. They don't understand the business of basketball yet. 
the business of basketball and what they don't see behind the closed doors where we're talking about players and their uh, ability to get better and their ability to stay with us for a long period of time. Um, you know, sometimes I'm alerting the player early, like, hey, listen, you've got to do certain things in order to make yourself valuable to the team and to the organization, right? And to even if you do leave, to leave with a good taste in your mouth so that maybe someday you're able to come back. So, so it sounds like that I think the number one thing in, a, in the NBA, just like in business, is that we are our biggest ally and biggest enemy sometimes, right? Because we will get in a way of our own success by doing the wrong things, whether it's overconfidence or it's a lack of discipline to sleep early, to, you know, they go out, they party, they come in unprepared, they gain weight. I've seen a lot of that in the NBA. How do you look at a, a great college player and watch them flop in the NBA? Like what are the key kind of areas where you've seen phenomenal college players never make it to the NBA or they're out within a year or two? What is the common uh, kind of most common reason why? Aside from work ethic, which I'll talk about, there, there, there are five things. Um, size, speed, strength, athleticism, and IQ. Uh, I think that when you get drafted, you have potential to have all five of those or two, three, four of those different things. And that's what gets you into the NBA. Now, once you're in, because you have size, speed, strength, athleticism, and IQ, can you stay in with your work ethic? And I, I think sometimes that's where I see the fall off. Um, a person has, like you said earlier, great talent, or they have certain things that they're very good at that you as a coach or a manager wants to bring out in that person, but they just don't have a work ethic. And I think that's what happens with some of these college players. They haven't understood how to make the jump from playing two to three hours a day, right? In college, when you practice every day, coming into the NBA and taking it or accepting it as a business now. They have now become, they've started their own company. I tell every player, you are your own entity. You're your own president of your company. So if I'm coaching um, here in Detroit, Jaden Ivey, right? Phenomenal person, phenomenal player. He's a future all-star. And I've told him many times, and he's a, just such an excellent kid and a learner. Uh, this is his company and he needs to, within his own company, he needs to take care of his business, which is, uh, there's a multitude of things, right? Not just on the floor, but things off the floor, you know, and um, uh, uh, he's done an exceptional job and he's going to be uh, a, a future all-star for many years because he's picked up on so many things so quickly. Um, and just an intelligent person. And Jaden Ivey comes from uh, 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 his mother, I should say, is the head coach at, at Notre Dame, um, mm. the women's coach at Notre Dame. So he comes from uh, a family of athletes and coaches. But um, getting back to what I was talking about, the, like college, and he just came out of college, sometimes you're not used to the work ethic and the preparation it takes. So all these players, especially when you're that talented, 
right? right. When you're that talented, you're almost um, you expect you expect your your like intelligence in business. You expect your uh, talent to take you everywhere, and it could only take you so far. It sounds like even in the NBA, correct? Yes, no question. And are you preparing yourself? You have the talent. Are you preparing yourself? Do you have um, a routine that you go through? And that's the one thing that I talk all the time about with our players is having a routine, right? And and that really saves you. It saves you on on some bad days because you already know what you're going to do. And then the consistency of your routine. What can you do on a daily basis? that will help strengthen your routine. Being consistent in the NBA is the key. There's a lot of good players on Wednesday night, but guess what? On on Friday night, their next game, they're not very good. And then on Sunday, they're great again. And on Tuesday, they're they're, you know, they don't even play. So, you know, the the inconsistency, yeah, yeah, it's it's not it's not a job for being inconsistent. Let me ask you one last important question. In a in a culture where now in business, and I'm sure it's also bleeding into sports, is a culture of work-life balance, mental health, and all these things, which in itself are, are, are great. They're extremely important, right? But I think anything you overdo uh, creates a um, misalignment with success. So I guess the question for you is, what are some of the sacrifices if I want to be great, whether I'm in sports, I'm in business, I'm in whatever, and I, I tell you I want to be great, what what sacrifices should I be prepared to make? I think the first one is your time, right? Your your time of doing other things that maybe you, you enjoy and you have fun with. Um, to be an NBA player, if you want to be great, you have to, the first thing you have to do is sacrifice your, your, your time. And then, uh, you say, okay, what was I doing with my other time? I was either spending it with family, which sometimes has to sacrifice. I was spending it alone in my apartment playing uh, Fortnite, which guys love to do. They love to watch, uh, movies. You have to, at some point, turn the movies off, put the video games down and start watching the NBA when it starts at seven o'clock at night, you got to watch the league. You got to know the league. You have to sacrifice what you're doing. You have to change your habits. That's another thing that has to be done. And you have to build habits that are going to be sustainable throughout, um, hopefully your life, but certainly through your career. Um, and that's, I think the biggest thing is that guys don't have um, the right habits. People in general, including myself, don't have the right habits on a, on a daily basis. And that's what we strive for. Um, but this, the sacrifices of being in the NBA, of being successful in any type of business, being an NBA coach for 30 years, they are all over the place, the sacrifices. Some you see and some you don't even know uh, personally until uh, you just asked me if I had read two or three different books. I, I haven't had a chance to pick a book up in you know nine months. Anything I'm doing with my free time, it's opening a computer and watching uh, either our game that we just played or the next opponent. Absolutely. And that alone is a sacrifice. That it alone is. is a sacrifice. I would recommend a Libby app or Amazon so you can, on your drives or in your flights, you can potentially pick up if you love reading books. I read one a week. So, really? um, 
Yeah, oh yeah. Rex, one one last question. I like to keep my guests on their toes. Last time someone knew me, so I asked him, what's one thing that I do that drives you crazy? What's one player that drove you crazy in the last 23 years? Uh, in a good way or a bad way? It's up to you. And this is, I, I'm going to keep it positive, but I'm going to say Russell Westbrook. Okay. Um, I coached Russell Westbrook for six, seven years in Oklahoma City as a young player and then saw him just get so much better daily to where he became a hall of fame player eventually. Right. Um, but his, uh, I think because I couldn't understand his strength and force and athleticism. And I, I, I saw different things when he had the ball in his hands, he felt like there was no one else on the floor with him all the time. And he felt like the rim was attainable every time he touched the ball. And uh, I would say he, he, he drove me crazy because I, I would say sometimes like, hang on, Russell, you know, slow down. Yeah. And he had no slow down in him. He only saw uh, speed up instead of slow down and get to the rim. And luckily he didn't listen to me because he's transformed himself and built himself into being an incredible player. But I would say there, there were challenges at times. John Morant uh, reminds me of a young Russell Westbrook, right? Where he would just go and dunk on people and there was nothing else in front of him. Um, there, there's some limitations with that too, as your athleticism declines. It sounds like that, like you, obviously Russell Westbrook can't do what he used to do. Uh, so one of the things Michael Jordan did is he developed that, that fadeaway, right? That the, mm -hmm. the, the Hakeem Olajuwon moves, uh, hopefully Russell Westbrook now can develop some of those things so he can stay in the league. But let me say one thing about him. His work ethic and his consistency is off the charts. It's like, it's like the best ever, right? How he's wow. never been late. He has never been late for a bus, a team meeting, a physical therapy session, a training session, whatever. He's always 30 minutes early. It's unbelievable. Wow. He's a professional, it sounds like. He's a professional. He is the ultimate professional. And that is why he's still in the league after uh, all this time. And, and like you said, maybe his athleticism may be dropping as it does on all of us um, at some point in time. But he, he's, he's, his consistency and professionalism is, is uh, second to none. Thank you, Rex. Did I miss anything that we should cover? I think we got everything, <laughs> at least from my end. Hopefully you had a good time, Rex. I did. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's always good to be questioned and, and talk about these things and, you know, work life balance and professionalism and, um, you know, it's everything, management it's style. Everything. It's all great. Yeah. You, you are, you are an incredible coach and I'm, I'm, I'm really rooting for you to get a head coaching job. If that's something you want. Um, I think, uh, I think based on your mindset, you'd be an incredible asset for any team. Um, uh, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for the sacrifices you made to coach the Armenian national team to a championship. Uh, hope to see you on the Lakers and I will see you in June at, uh, CSUN. Armenia versus France, right? Yes, June 16 and 17. Get your tickets now. ArmeniaBasketball.com. ArmeniaBasketball.com. It's the website that shows all of Armenia basketball on it. It's great. Rex, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for everything, and I can't wait to see you again. Thank you, Vitas. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Tech Leader Playbook. If you got value from this episode, share it with a friend that would appreciate hearing Rex's insights. Subscribe to be notified, and we'll see you next Wednesday.